You're listening to the Frequently Asked Questions, Biblical Answers to Hard Questions series, taught by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. This week we are dealing with a, a new topic, a new question in this Frequently Asked Questions series. Last week we dealt with a very controversial subject, the subject of homosexuality and what we as Christians ought to do in that area. And so this week, as I was planning and thinking about the different questions that had been asked and choosing a question, I decided to choose a question that I thought would be a lot less controversial. Okay? The question we're going to deal with this week is, how do Christians grow spiritually? So it, much less controversial. I, I think most Christians will, for the most part, agree on these things. Uh, but I want us to understand as we go into this that Though this is not controversial, it is incredibly important. Okay, we can't stress the importance enough of how important it is. We know how, as Christians, we're supposed to be growing spiritually. And so my goal this week is to, to say if you're a new believer, my goal would be so that you can understand what you need to do to be growing spiritually. What steps do you need to be taking in your life? How does Christian growth happen? And I, I believe that this can be helpful for those of us that are have been saved for a while, they're maybe older Christians, to say, okay, listen, am I, doing, am I still doing the things in my life that got me to this point? What are the things that I need to go back to? What are some of these steps that I need to revisit and continue to do? Because this is not a process where you, you get to a point where you've arrived. This is a process of continual growth that, that will happen until the day you die. And the problem is, so often, I think Christians get, get to a point that they're comfortable and then they plateau. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm here, I'm at where I, I like to be, God has enough control of my life, he's a big enough part of my life that I feel comfortable with that, but at the same time, I still have my own control. You know, I still am a, at a point where I'm comfortable in my life, and I'm afraid that if I continue to take the next few steps, I might be uncomfortable, I might have to give up some things that I really don't want to give up, and so we get to the point sometimes where we plateau in our spiritual growth, we're no longer moving forward. And, and I hope that as Christians, we can look at this lesson, how do Christians grow spiritually, and say, am I doing everything in my life to make sure this is still happening? And not only that, I hope that you'll take this lesson, how Christians grow spiritually, and be able to, to teach each other people. So that when you're discipling new Christians as well, you can say, hey, listen, here's some of the steps, here's some of the things that you need to be doing to make sure that you're growing in your spiritual life. And so here's a question that can be asked in a number of different ways. You could say, how do Christians become um, more mature? How do we deepen our walk with Christ? How do we become closer to him? How do we make progress in the area of personal sanctification? How do we move from being babies that need the milk of the word to mature adults who feast on meat? We can ask a number of different ways. The, The goal is that we become, from the point where we got saved and we were new Christians, how do we get to that point where now we're mature and perfect in Christ? In my answer, I want to define the term spiritual growth. You know exactly what I mean when I say growing spiritually. And then I want to discuss some of the misconceptions about what spiritual growth is. I think there's a lot of misconceptions in the church about what spiritual growth is and what it looks like. And then I want to give you three key elements that will help you facilitate spiritual growth in your life. If you don't have these three things, spiritual growth can't happen. Okay, now there are a number of other things that we won't be able to talk about today that can aid in your spiritual growth. These key ingredients are necessary for spiritual growth. So let's pray and then we'll get into the lesson. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're um, 
we're speaking about a topic that is relevant to each one of us. Lord, we're thinking about how we grow spiritually, how we become closer to you, how, to be, how we become more like you. And Lord, I pray that as this morning as we talk about this, as, as we look at your word, that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that even today, spiritual growth can happen within each one of us. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us and guide us and, and would um, lead me as I teach. Lord, give me the words to say. And Lord, I pray that you're glorified in everything that's said and done. We love you, Lord. We thank you that we know you that you died for us. Lord, we thank you that we are your children. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to just be motivated to want to be what you want us to be as your children. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do we mean when we say the words spiritual growth? Well, the idea of being spiritual in our culture is a very popular topic. It's a very popular thing. Okay? Most people want to be spiritual. Now, for a lot of people... That does not mean being a Christian and knowing Christ. For them, that just means I have a spiritual side of me. I recognize that. Uh, many psychologists recognize that people, people have spiritual needs that need to be met. And so I just want to be spiritual in my life, even if that doesn't mean I believe in God. I just have to have a spiritual side of my, my being. So spiritual, spirituality is very popular in our culture. And the other thing that is very popular is this idea of personal growth. Hey, everybody wants to grow. If you were to go to a bookstore, I heard this this week, that at the vast majority of bookstores, the largest section of books are self-help books. Clearly, people want to grow. And when I look at that, when I look at the fact that there's just so many thousands and millions of self-help books that have been written, I think it reveals a few things. First of all, it reveals that people need a lot of help. And they realize it. Okay, most people don't come to the world, and they're not in a position right now in their lives where they say, hey, I've arrived. My life is perfect. I no longer need to grow. Okay, the vast majority of Christians and the vast majority of non-Christians agree, we need to grow. People need to grow. It also, I realize, as I look at the fact that there are so many self-help books, that it's very clear that the last two million that were written didn't do the trick. Okay, so people write more and more and more because they're trying to fill a need that is there unsuccessfully over and over again. The final thing that it, thing it reveals is that people are searching for something more than they have now. They realize that there is something missing. Okay, the world is searching, and that reveals it. But when we look at the fact that there's so many health, self-help books, I, I think we realize that there are some goals of those books that line up with many of the goals of Scripture. Okay, first of all, think about it. Self-help books are always talking about realizing your destiny. You know, knowing your purpose and, and, and why you're here and what you're supposed to be doing. And, and you, we know as, as people, as humanity, we get a great sense of purpose when we're just doing something, when we're working, when we're creating, when we're making this world a better place. Why is it that when you help somebody else, you feel good about yourself? So it's pretty clear that when these self-help books talk about having purpose and meaning in your life and, and having a destiny, that lines up a lot with what Scripture talks about. That the whole goal of self-help books is that you can live a greater life than you have now. Well, don't you think Scripture wants you to have a, a better life than you have now? Maybe better in a different way, but certainly a better life, a meaningful life. These self-help books want you to discover how valuable you are. 
I can't tell you a better place to find out how valuable you really are than in the Word of God. They want to help you change and see that change is possible. And if you want a book that will help you change, it is the Word of God. And so when we look at these self-help books and the goals, and then we say, hey, God created us. Okay? He knows what we need, and he's answered all of these questions that the world is searching for clearly in his book. We have a destiny. We have purpose. We have meaning. We have value. We have all of the things we need, and we find them all in the Word of God. It's a shame that Christians are still stuck at that point many times where they're seeking some of the same things that the world is and looking at those same self-help books that the world is that don't have the answers when they do have the answer. The Word of God. Okay? It is so crucially important that we grow as Christians because if we don't grow, if we stay where we were when we got saved, then what's the difference? Right? God's desire for each one of us is that we grow. This morning, what I want to do is look at some key ingredients on how we grow, and we're going to start off by looking at some misconceptions of what spiritual growth is. Okay, so if I was, to, first of all, to define spiritual growth, this is what I believe it is. Spiritual growth emanates from a relationship with Christ and results in increasing conformity to the character of God as revealed in the person of Christ. I know that's a lot all at once, but think about it. Spiritual growth emanates from a relationship with Christ. So what I'm trying to say, first of all, is that spiritual growth cannot happen apart from a relationship with Christ. You need to be saved. You need the gospel. And at the point you get saved, you started a relationship with Jesus, and the goal of, of that for the rest of your life is to grow that relationship so as that relationship grows, you grow spiritually. It's going to happen. And the closer you are to Christ, and the more you know about him, and the more you know him, and the more you try and be like him, the more you are going to grow spiritually. So it starts with the relationship with Christ. And, and I know that we know this, but listen, there's way too many Christians that they don't have that relationship, and they think the answer for and that, that relationship, they're not working on growing that relationship, they're not getting closer to Christ, and they think the answer for their spiritual growth is just to add new rules, add new things they have to do. And, and if I do A, B, C, and D, then I'm going to become more spiritual. And the truth is, what you need to do is get closer to Christ, and those A, B, C, and D can be helpful in that process. But the goal is the relationship with Christ. So, it emanates from relationship with Christ, it results in increasing conformity to the character of God. Now when I say that you're going to increasingly conform to God, what I mean is you're going to become more and more like Him. And, and that is not just an outward appearance, that is, that is starting in the inside. See, if we were to look at the, the Jewish world back in Jesus' day, and look at anybody that we said, these people look like they follow the outward character of God as revealed in the Ten Commandments or, or in God's law the most, we would look at the Pharisees. Every time, right? But Jesus pointed out that the problem with the Pharisees was that they didn't have the inward conformity to the character of God. They had forgotten about justice and mercy and love and, and all of those things that, that all of God's laws come from. Okay? God's laws can be summed up in love God and love your neighbor. And that is something that happens on the inside. And so all the other laws are just built on on what's going on in the inside. And so when I say you increase in conformity to the character of God, I'm talking about in the inside and the outside. Okay? Because if it happens on the inside, it will be demonstrated on the outside, but inside first. Inside most important. 
And then finally, that it is revealed in the person of Christ. Listen, if we want to see the perfect man, what it looks like to increase in conformity of character, what it looks like to be there, to arrive, we look at the life of Jesus Christ. And Jesus did not condone sin, but Jesus loved sinners. Jesus was the perfect example of all the fruits of the Spirit. Jesus is, is what it means to be a perfect Christian. So, now that I've said that, let's look at the misconceptions of spiritual growth. The first misconception is that it refers to your position in Christ. It refers to your position in Christ. We do not achieve a level of spirituality that makes us fit for heaven. Okay, so when we're talking about spiritual growth, we are not saying that we take an unbeliever, we take somebody, even a Christian, and we make them more, more spiritual. We, we, we show them how to grow spiritually. We th- show these ingredients, and eventually they will be saved. This is not part of the process. It's not about your position in Christ. The moment that you accept Christ as your Savior, your position is justified. You have been cleared of all your sin. When you stand before God and you enter, you know, you're, you're at the end of your life, you stand before God, the question is going to be, what did you do with Jesus Christ? And if what you did with Christ was you accepted him as your Savior by faith, you repent of your sin, you put your faith in Christ, if that's what you did, you're justified. And that's done. And so we're not talking about your position in Christ. Roman, or Ephesians 2.8.9 says, Salvation is by grace through faith alone, and it's not of yourselves. If you are saved, you're saved. And that's it. The second misconception of spiritual growth is that spiritual growth impacts God's love for you. That somehow, when you grow spiritually, God loves you more. And that is not true. Okay, that is not the case. You cannot do anything to make God love you more, and you cannot do anything to make God love you less. If you are a believer in Christ, you are his child. And I, I know this is, this is how we work, okay? And this is why this is hard for us to kind of wrap our minds around because the way we work is we like or we love people more that are usually kinder to us. Even, I was thinking this week, and in one way, parenthood is the best example that we have of God's love. And in another way, in our parenting, it reveals how different we are than God, Okay? And so if I was to ask most parents who your favorite child is, what would you say? We don't pick favorites. Greg. <laughs> no, but listen, if, if, you're giving, if you're giving the answer you're supposed to give, then the answer is, uh, we don't choose favorites. We love our, all our kids equally. But if you were to ask us on any day of the week, hey, which kid do you really love right now? I would have a different name for you. Hey, we have four kids, and there are some times that Miles is just wonderful, and there's sometimes that he's terrible. And, and, and if you were to ask me, I would say, ah, right now I'm just feeling more love for Spencer. You know? But there are times that Spencer is not the one I feel a whole lot of love for. Okay? But at the same time, we recognize our responsibility to love our kids all equally. Now listen, if we were to compare our love with God, God does not look from heaven and say, I really love this person because they're just being so good today. But I really can't stand this guy right now because he's just not representing me well. That's not how God works. Because God's love is not this emotional kind of love that we experience. It is a choice that he has made to love us in spite of our sin. He knows we are but dust. He knows that, that we are, we're, we're nothing 
Okay? And, and so he loves us as his children, and he accepts us as we are, but he does want us to grow. I think it's just important that we realize that spiritual growth is not going to impact God's love for us. And I think this is important because it helps us to do two things. First of all, when we sin and when we fall, we don't need to become defeated because we realize that God still loves us, right? And when we're doing well, it means that we shouldn't become self-righteous because it's not that God loves you more than anybody else. Misconception number three, it is based on time saved or your age. Okay, a lot of people think that, well, this person's been saved for 20 years, so they must be spiritually mature. This is an, this is an easy one. It's just not true. People, just because they've been saved for 20 or 50 years, does not mean they're spiritually mature. Spiritually mature is not based on time. It's not based on age. It's not like our, how maturity works with people, and even sometimes then it doesn't work with people. Um, <laughs> it, it, is, it is based on your closeness, your relationship with Christ. It's based on how you're performing these three ingredients we'll talk about in a few minutes. Number four, it is not based on knowledge. It is not based on knowledge. Now, this doesn't mean that knowledge has nothing to do with it, but Jesus and James both made this point very clear. Okay, if you look at James chapter 1, verse 21 to 25, Luke chapter 6, verse 43 to 49, you, will, you clearly see that both of them are saying, listen, you can know about me, you can know my word, but if you don't do it, then there's no point of knowing it. Okay? Knowledge does not make you spiritually mature. There are many theologians, there are many scholars, there are many pastors, there are many brilliant men and women that sit in the congregation and they know a lot about what Scripture says and because they don't do it, because they haven't applied those truths to their heart, because it's not flowing out of their life, because the gospel is just in their head and it's not in them and flowing through them, they are not spiritually mature. And so it's not just knowledge. And there are a lot of people that they, they collect knowledge. Okay, they are smart Christians and they can defend their, their belief and, and they're, hey, they're doing well. At least we might think that. But until those things are being applied to their lives, they're not spiritually mature. And so it's not based on knowledge or certainly not based on knowledge alone. If we were to, to think about it this way, if we're talking about spiritual growth as, as our relationship with Christ and, and how that's going, I mean, we could pick somebody historically and decide that we're going to read everything they've written and get to know everything that was written about them and read their biography and learn a lot about them. We could know a lot about that person. That doesn't mean you have a relationship with them, right? I can know less things about people in our church and still have a relationship with them. I mean, I don't know all of the things that they think about, all of the subjects that I might know about that C.H. Spurgeon thinks about. I mean, he's written a lot of things. You could get to know what he was like quite well. No relationship with Spurgeon. Not yet, anyway. Okay? But, that'd be pretty cool when we do, right? But I can't have a relationship with people in the church because, you know, there's knowledge. And, and, and if I want to grow closer to that person, then I will learn more about them. But it's going to be a relational thing. There's going to be communication, presence, right? And so it's not based on knowledge. It is not based on level of service. It's not just how busy you are as a Christian. I was thinking this week about the story of the men who were casting out demons and performing miracles in the name of Christ, and then they came to Christ at the end of their life, and Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. He didn't know them. 
There was no relationship. They were very busy. Now, this is an example of a non-Christian who was busy in the service of Christ, never accepted Christ as their Savior, and, and now Jesus doesn't even know them. If that's true for a non-Christian, can it be true for a Christian as well? That you can get to the point where you're busy for Christ, you're busy doing things, but you don't, you don't know him? I mean, you don't have that, that real relationship going on with him? You're just busy in his service? I think that this happens very often in, in churches. And I think probably more conservative churches become more guilty of this than some... And the, the, I, the truth is that might not be true. But in my experience at least, and I have more experience with conservative churches, when I think about conservative churches, I see very often that people are pushed to be busy and active and doing something for Christ, and maybe there's not enough emphasis on that relationship with Christ and knowing him and having everything that you're doing coming from the fact that you have that relationship. So it's not based on your level of service. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not against service, I'm not against doing things for Christ, I, I'm completely for those things. That we just need to make sure that we're doing them because we love Christ and because we're trying to please him and not because we just think busyness is going to make us spiritual. And finally, number six, it is not based on outward piety. It's not based on outward piety. And I think we've kind of covered this already, but piety is a, it's a good thing when it's understood properly. You know, God says, be holy for I am holy. We should be trying to live a holy life. We should be trying to get rid of sin in life. There is a battle that they're going on, and God doesn't want to just to give up because it's not based on, you know, what people look at. But at the same time, even though it's not, spiritual growth is not based on it, outward piety will happen when there's real spiritual growth happening. The, the danger is when we equate spiritual growth with, you know, our level of holiness or at least how other people view us, then we get to the point where we think we're spiritual because we don't do the list of don'ts and we do the list of do's. So it's not based on outward piety. God demands his people are holy, but again, that happens from the inside. Jesus made that so clear when he was speaking to the Pharisees. He said it, it, it's from the inside that you're defiled. Okay? And, and, and the good things that we do need to come from the inside out. High standards do not make for spiritually mature people. Okay, that doesn't mean that spiritually mature people won't have standards. It, they will have standards. But just because somebody has standards does not make them spiritually mature. The fact is that when, you, when I read Scripture, I see that there are young baby Christians that probably need higher standards in their lives until they grow. Right? Is that Romans 14? Is that what that is saying? And so high standards do not make for spiritually mature people. The Pharisees had higher standards than everyone in Judaism, including Jesus. And they were not spiritually mature. They, they, had no, they didn't know Christ at all. Um, I think the epitome of this is in Luke chapter 18, verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank thee. So this is the, this is the prayer of the Pharisee. Okay? And this is the prayer of the modern Pharisee too. Lord, I thank thee that I am not as other men. When I compare myself with other Christians, I am so much better than them because my standards are right up here, right? I'm not like them, not as extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Um, and he went on to say, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I possess. He's starting to list all the things that he thinks makes him spiritual, and he is dead wrong. And the person that is really spiritual, the person that knows Christ in this scenario, is the one that recognizes how sinful they are, recognizes they have nothing to offer God, and then just turns to him for his grace and his mercy. And he's the one that receives it. 
So outward piety is not spiritual growth. Remember, spiritual growth emanates from a relationship with Christ and results in increasing conformity to the character of God as revealed in the person of Christ. And so now that we know what it's not, some of the misconceptions of it, let's talk about three crucial ingredients to facilitate spiritual growth in our lives. Okay, what are the, some three things? And, and the truth is there are many, many things that we could put on this list, but I thought these three, three things are they're essential. The three that we'll talk about are effort, help, and the Holy Spirit. So we'll start with effort. Number one, it starts with you. You have a huge part to play in your spiritual growth. Okay? You're active in this process. This is not a, a passive thing that just happens to you. You need to be a part of the process. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Y- you've been saved. Now you know Christ. Now work that out. What does the fact that you've been saved by the gospel of Christ now mean for your future life? How did the gospel change how you're going to live every day from this point on? And how does it continue to change you? Because it does. So work it out. But that is not a command. It's just, hey, your salvation will be worked out upon you. It's not. Your salvation must be worked out by you. So it starts there. We are commanded in the Bible to lave, to strive, labor, lave. What is lave? It's nothing. Um, <laughs> to strive against sin, right? To fight temptation, to stand against temptation. We're, we're commanded to do certain things that will help us grow spiritually. And if you don't do those things, you're not going to grow, period. So there's effort involved. What do you have to do? Well, you have to know about God. Okay? You have to know about God. You can't grow closer to somebody that you're not learning about, you're not knowing about. And so knowing the word of God is, is of the utmost importance. In Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter says, But grow in grace, okay? grow, grow in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, you want to get closer to Christ? You want to develop that relationship with Christ? You've got to know him. That means learning about him. That means learning about him in the word of God. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2 he says, as newborn babes desire, okay, long for. This is, not something, this is not just a duty that you have to perform. This is an exciting thing. Desire it. Listen, the word of God reveals the greatest creature on the entire earth who became flesh and died for you. That's this book. So love it and want it and, and fill your life with it as much as you can. Desire it. The sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You gotta, you're not going to grow unless you're in the Word, right? Hebrews 5.13, Paul is now speaking, or Paul. I always say Paul with Hebrews. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, um, but let's, who, the author says, For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the Word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Okay, if, if you don't know the Word, then you're still on milk, then you're still a baby. And so the desire, I mean, it's okay to be a baby for a while, right? It's not okay to be a baby for the rest of your life. You must be growing. 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Listen, if you want to know what's truth, if you want to know how to grow, if you want to know what you're doing wrong, if you want to correct it and start doing right, you need the word of God. It's, it's profitable for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect. And that is not you're, you're going to be sinless, but that is you're going to be complete. You're going to be mature. 
perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That is what the Word of God does. And so you must know the Word of God, but, but take it a step further. Now we must obey what we know. So you, you learn, you learn what he's like, and you learn more about Christ, and you learn what he wants from you, and then you obey it. I know, I mean, it's very simple when you just put it in those terms. Learn, and then do it, okay? It's, it's hard to do. But if we ever want to grow spiritually, we need to be doing these things. James 1, verse 22, James says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. Listen, if you are learning the word and you know the word well and you're not doing it, do you know what you've done? You've deceived yourself. You think you're spiritual and you're not. You think you're something you're not because you know but you're not doing. So you must know, you must do. Luke 11:28, Jesus said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Those are the ones that are blessed. Those are the ones that are going to grow. So obey what you know. Some practical steps. Hey, have a devotional time in your life. Have a time when you, you sit down and you spend time in the Word of God and you spend time in prayer and you spend time getting to know to God. Listen, if we were to take a half an hour a day and, and sit with any person and talk to them and learn about them, you know how much that relationship would grow after even a week and, and then a month and then a year of doing that every day? Imagine a lifetime of spending 15 or 20 minutes or a half an hour every day learning about and learning and knowing a person. We would grow so close to that person. It is the same with God. If we don't spend time with him, we're never going to have that relationship. So we must spend time with him. Have a devotional time. Spend time in prayer, prayer and fight against sin. Listen, when, as we grow spiritually, we should be realizing that the things that God hates, we should hate too. There's a song by down here that says, Break my heart for the things that break yours. That should be our prayer. Lord, I, I know that some of these things are, are pleasant and, and, and I get you know, at least a, a short joy from participating in them. But Lord, I don't want to like anything that you don't like. Yeah, I, I want to hate the things that you hate and love the things that you love. And so as we grow spiritually, as we grow closer to Christ, that should be happening. Fight against sin and obey the Holy Spirit. I know that Baptists are sometimes reserved about what the Holy Spirit does because we've seen a lot of things attributed to the Holy Spirit in the charismatic movement that we don't like, and we don't believe that that's what the Holy Spirit does. But listen, the Holy Spirit, we're going to talk about this in number three. The Holy Spirit, he's essential for your Christian growth, for a spiritual growth. He's essential in your life. He is helping you do everything that you're commanded to do. The Holy Spirit is the one that's helping you to do those things. And so obey him. Okay, be sensitive to the leading of the, whole, the, the Spirit. As the Spirit convicts you, as the Spirit works in you, as the Spirit reveals truth to you, then be sensitive to the Spirit. So that is number one. It is your effort. Okay, we could talk a lot more about that, but we've got to keep going. Number two, you need help. You're not supposed to do it by yourself. So you need help. It is important for Christians to realize this. Now, at this point, I think if we just say, well, you need effort, if you could say, well, I could learn about God on my own. I could do devotional time on my own. I, I could do all of the things that you just listed on my own. But here's the problem. You cannot be a Christian who is thriving in the will of God without being a part of a church body with a church family. You just can't do it. First of all, you're commanded to be a part of one. You're supposed to be a part of one. And so you're already disobeying God by not. But the second reason for that is that God didn't just tell you to go to church because he didn't want you to have anything fun to do on Sunday morning. He told you to go to church because he knows that his plan for your growth is in community. 
It happens together. It doesn't just happen all by yourself. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Paul says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. So we come together, and one of the things that we do together is we edify. What does that mean? We build up. What are we trying to do in spiritual growth? We're trying, we're trying to build ourselves up. We're trying to build and get closer to Christ. And so we're supposed to edify. Okay, that's it's a part of growth. Ephesians 4.16, fantastic verse on the Word of God. Or, sorry, on the church. Okay, if you want one verse that's just going like, to sum up what the church does and how it works, Ephesians 4.16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted that by which every joint supplies. And so it starts out, every single part of this body is important. Every single part. The newest ones and the oldest ones. Every gifting. Every personality. Everybody's important. It goes on. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part. And so as we work out what we've been given, and as we work together in community for the will of God, it makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. What happens as we all do what we're supposed to do in community? We all grow. We're all edified. So the, the church is vitally important in this idea of spiritual growth. Listen, you think about the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. Do you know that the gifts of the Spirit are not primarily so that you can go out and, and save the lost world? Okay, that's not the primary purpose. And it's not, it's not barely at all for yourself. If, if, it's, if it's for yourself, it's probably not at all for yourself. You can say that safely. The purpose of your spiritual growth is to edify other Christians in your church community. That's it. And so we need to be working together on this. So if we said, well, how does this work? Well, um, I'll tell you how this works, how I grow personally by being a part of this church body. Uh, one thing that happens is, is I see other people and I see their growth and I see their maturity. And I see where they're at. I see how they're ex- exercising their spiritual gifts. Gifts and, I, and first of all, I benefit from them. Okay? There are people here that are just unbelievably encouraging. And so I benefit from that. I've been encouraged many times by people in this church body. And sometimes that encouragement is what you need to get you through. The other thing that happens is I watch people live out their spiritual gifts is that I, I start to go, you know what? If I feel so good when they do that, you know, if, if, that, if that gift edifies me, maybe I should be trying to do that for other people. And so I see what they're doing, and then I try and start emulating that because it's a good thing. So how do we grow as together? Well, we, we benefit from each other's spiritual gifts, and we benefit from just seeing how those gifts benefit other people, and us trying to do that too. It works very well. Being a part of church, you receive encouragement, you receive the opportunity to serve, the opportunity to be a part of God's family, to be doing something bigger than just yourself, to be working in a body as a team together. Hey, God didn't save just one person. He saved a whole group of them. And his plan is that we work together for his kingdom, for his cause. Finally, as we come together, we have people that hopefully do a good job opening up the word of God and and clearly laying out what it says and recognizing that we're all under the authority of the word of God. And, And this is important because if we take the word of God all by ourselves, we are going to come to conclusions that we want to come to. That's our net fleshly nature. Okay? We're going we're gonna to read passages the way we want to see them. We're going to find what we want to find. But when somebody stands up and tries to exegete Scripture exactly how it's said in the context, then there are a lot of times that, hey, you can't deny it. You can no longer twist that to mean what you want it to mean. It, it means what the preacher is saying it means. 
assuming they're doing a good job of exegeting scripture. Okay? They're taking it within the context and within the, the literary genre and all those things. Okay? Um, and, and this is, I'm not trying to say that because, hey, I'm, I'm teaching you right now. I know I, this could, that part could sound really arrogant. I'm not trying to say that. I'm, what I'm trying to say is when I come to church and I hear Pastor Dressler preach on Sunday morning or when I hear other people come in and give the word of God, I'm under the word of God too. And sometimes they bring out things in, in my life that maybe I wouldn't have seen there, but it's there because I just didn't want to see it. And so all of those things happen when we come to the other community. Listen, we need help. You have your effort. You need help. Number three, we must have the Holy Spirit. We must have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is essential. You cannot grow spiritually apart from the Holy Spirit. We must have him. And, and this point is, is meant to encourage you. The last two points you have some kind of power over. Okay? You, you can put the effort in. You can make sure you're getting the help that you need. You're part of the community that you should be part of. Uh, you can make sure you're doing these things. This one you can't really make sure you're doing. It, it just happens when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. So this is going to encourage you, hopefully, because you can realize that as you begin or continue in this journey of spiritual growth that is impossible on your own, you have a helper that will give you the power and the guidance and, and everything you need to make sure that you are growing spiritually. It's, it's a task that is impossible by yourself, but you have everything you need in the Holy Spirit. So your responsibility is to grow in your relationship with Christ by searching the Word, applying it, joining yourself to a family of believers, and then allowing the Holy Spirit to use those things to, to change you. Philippians 2.13. Remember we, re- we read 2.12 we talked about how we're, you're supposed to work out your own salvation? And you're working it out? Do you know the next verse, what it says? It says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so as you work, he works. As you're working it out, he's working in you to will and to do. And so the working out that is happening is only happening because he's working in you. But it's a wonderful, wonderful thing for us. The Holy Spirit guides and directs. You know, in in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It started, the Holy Spirit's in you. He's not just going to leave you alone. He is going to be working in you and through you to to facilitate and to help with this process of spiritual growth. So how does this work? How does he help you? Well, we said you should read and study, right? In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. We have the spirit of God in us. That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. And in the context, it's speaking about spiritual truths, about the Word of God. How can you know the Word of God? As we, as we put the effort into the study, how can we know the Word of God? It's because the Spirit's going to reveal it to us. An unsaved person cannot open up Scripture and understand it properly. It is impossible because it can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. But if you're a believer, if you know Christ, you have that when you sit down for your devotional time. That's an awesome thing. When you apply these things, I mean, how does the Holy Spirit involved in that? Well, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said that, after, that you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. And so here he gives the disciples a command. He says, you've got to go. Okay, you're supposed to go and preach the gospel to every creature. We have the Great Commission. 
But he makes it very clear that, that the power that you're going in is not your own power, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. The command, the help. The command, the help. That's how it's going to work for every area of your life. You want to know how to overcome the sin that you struggle with? You want to know how it's possible, how I know it's possible? How I know that you're not just going to live in constant defeat? Because you have the Holy Spirit working in you. And because his power is strong enough to defeat any sin. When you pray, Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. There's sometimes you just don't know how to pray, right? But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groans which cannot be uttered. Isn't that great? As we sit down and pray, the Holy Spirit works on our behalf, goes to God's throne on our behalf, prays for us. When we live in community, we, we see the gifts of the Spirit happening. Listen, we could, we could talk a long time about this. I think we're just about running out of time. But you need the Holy Spirit working in your life. You need to be in a church community. You need the help of this community. And you need your personal effort. It, it, it's not going to happen apart from those things. Spiritual growth emanates from a relationship with Christ and results in increasing conformity to the character of God as revealed in the person of Christ. And listen, if that's ever going to happen to you, if it's ever going to continue to happen to you, you need that relationship. And that relationship cannot happen without effort, community, and the Holy Spirit. I'll close with this example we find in Scripture. 1 John chapter 2. John is writing to believers, and he says, I write unto you little children. Okay, so the, the first, say, level of growth. I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. What do the little children know? What are they doing? They know they're forgiven. And that's it. They know that Christ forgave them. That's what the babies know. They don't know everything they're supposed to do as a Christian. They don't know what it means to have this close, intimate relationship with Christ yet, but they know their sins are forgiven. And so that's the little children. Then he goes on and he says, I have written unto you young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So he turns and he says, here's the next group I'll, I'll address. I'm going to write unto you young men because you know the word of God. The word of God abides in you. And so the next step of spiritual growth, it, it's, it's just, it's starting to learn, right? So you have the ones that know they've forgiven, that's it. And then you move on and you say, okay, well, now these young men, they know the word of God. They know God's will. They know what God expects of them. They're, they're, they're living out, they're overcoming the wicked one in their life. But there's another level. He says in John chapter 1 John chapter 2, verse 13, I write unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. And I love how that progression happens, because it goes from you know you're forgiven, you know the will of God, you know the word of God, you know what you're supposed to be doing, to you just really know God. And, and that, that process, that happens over a long period of time. And that happens after a long time of, of, of being that young man. But listen, there are people in our church, I love to watch their spiritual lives. I love to watch them speak about God because it's like he's their best friend, right? They just know him. And that's spiritual growth. It's that relationship. So I, I hope that this morning you'll examine where you're at and say, am I doing these things? You know, is this happening in my life? Do I have the effort? Do I have the community? Do I have the Holy Spirit working? Am I pursuing that relationship with Christ like I should be? If not, there's, there's no like, bang, you're dead. 
Um, it's not that because you haven't been, you can't be. It just means that we need to start doing these things. Okay, we should all look at our lives and say, what do I need to be doing to be pursuing this relationship with Christ? I want to leave this thought with you. Do you know that your spiritual growth is not about you? It's not for you, ultimately. And absolutely, you'll benefit from it. Absolutely, it'll be good. I mean, if, if you want to live in the, the peace that only God can give, the, I mean, if you want to live in true, abundant joy, if you want to have, then you need this. You need to grow spiritually. It's about the glory of God. Spiritual growth is about you glorifying God with your life. And so you have a responsibility to be a part of it. All right? Thank you, guys.